section of the Canons of Dort, the fifth main point of doctrine, which has to do with the perseverance of the faith, the way the Christian life falls out with its temptations and sins and God's intervening and preserving grace. And so I want to read uh, the first three articles of that head, that uh, section, and you'll find on page 278 in the Book of Forms and Prayers and 912 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Article 1, the regenerate not entirely free from sin. Those people whom God, according to His purpose, calls into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and regenerates by the Holy Spirit, He also sets free from the reign and slavery of sin, though in this life not entirely from the flesh and from the body of sin. Article 2, the believer's reaction to sins of weakness. Hence, daily sins of weakness arise... And blemishes cling to even the best works of God's people, giving them continual cause to humble themselves before God, to flee for refuge to Christ crucified, to put the flesh to death more and more by the spirit of supplication and by holy exercises of godliness, and to strain toward the goal of perfection until they are freed from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven." Article 3, God's preservation of the converted. Because of these remnants of sin dwelling in them, and also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources. But God is faithful, mercifully strengthening them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving them in it to the end. And then if you turn in the Word of God to the letter of Paul to the Colossians chapter 1, you'll find that on page 1,251, 1,251, I'll read the first 14 verses, but the sermon will focus on verses 9 through 14, Paul's prayer. For the Colossian Christians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, 
From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to it. If you were to look through some of the report cards of my youth, you would come across a common phrase from the teachers. John could do better. Evidently, they thought that I was living below my capabilities as a student. And I imagine that that's what could be written large over all of our Christian lives, or at least most of our Christian lives. We could do better. We're living below our capabilities. We're not as committed as we ought to be, nor as determined as we should be. We are not, to use the language of the Belgic or the canons of Dort, we're not straining toward the goal of perfection like we should. Now, there's a couple responses you could take to that. You could just accept that as the reality that it is and just go on living a mediocre life. Or... You could recognize where you have fallen short, lay off your lethargy, repent of your carelessness, and then pursue holiness so as to please the Lord. This is certainly the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Colossian Christians, as that's recorded to us, uh, for us in this first letter. He wants them to walk worthy of the Lord. He wants them to please the Lord in every way. And if that's the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Colossians, he being inspired by God, then that's the desire of his and our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us. And so I want to look at these three or these verses, 9 through 14, under three headings this evening. The first is the wisdom that we need. Secondly, the way we should walk. And finally, the wherewithal which we have. So, what is this wisdom that we need? Well, you'll notice there in verse 9 that the Apostle Paul prays that the Colossian Christians may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And certainly when the Apostle speaks about the knowledge of God's will, he's speaking about God's desire for us his goals for us as Christians. And of course, we find that in the first place in the Word of God, in the Old and New Testaments. So as we read through the Scriptures, we can know not only what we should learn about God, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism so helpfully says, but also we learn how we should live as the children of the living God. And so, for instance, we read in the in the Ten Commandments, uh, how uh, we ought to live so that we should not kill. 
We read in the New Testament imperatives that we should love our neighbors as ourselves and love one another deeply from the heart. We read in the Ten Commandments that we should honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We read in the letter to the Hebrews that we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. We read that we ought to be and not committing adultery. We read in the New Testament Scriptures that we ought to be pure and that no unclean word should proceed from our mouth. And so as you read the Scriptures, both old and new, you catch a glimpse of what God wants our lives to look like. We get the knowledge of God's will. But what Paul is praying for is not something that you can get simply by reading. Because you'll notice there, he talks about us being filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding is the very thing that the great King Solomon prayed for soon after he was, uh, 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 soon after he ascended to the throne. He says, how in the world am I able to govern this nation, which is as many as the sands on the seashore? How am I supposed to govern in a way that would be a blessing to them? And so he asks that God would give them wisdom and understanding, not only theoretical knowledge, but the way to apply what he has learned in the Word of God to the day-to-day affairs of the kingdom. And this is what we need. We need the wisdom of God that is given by the Spirit to take the commands of Scripture and to work them out in our day-to-day lives. Now, I suppose that if you think that you've got the Christian life mastered, that you know what it is to live as a Christian, then you won't need the spirit of wisdom and revelation or the spirit of wisdom and understanding. But if you recognize that there are still areas of our life that have not been given over to the reign of Jesus Christ, And if you long to have more and more of your life live for his honor and glory, then this is the prayer that you'll pray. Lord, help me to understand your will. And then help me to apply your will into the gritty affairs of my life. And so the Lord calls us that we're to show hospitality to everyone. What does that look, Lord, like? in my life, with my family at the stage that they are. I'm not to be greedy. I'm to be a cheerful giver. How can I be a cheerful giver? How can I give more money or more wisely so that it isn't uh, money that I crave and hoard, but that I long to see uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ be built? How can I have the passion for the glory of God among the nations that I see in the Scriptures. And so you not only know what the will of God is, but you pray for the spirit of wisdom and understanding to apply that to the details of your life so that more and more of your life will be given over to the dominion of Jesus Christ. And so Paul prays for the wisdom that we need. And then in Paul's prayer, secondly, we notice the way that we should walk. Wisdom that we just learned about is not simply to build up our intellect. Learning is always for serving. Wisdom is always for walking. 
We want to know the will of God, not so that we can be critical of other people who don't measure up. We want to know the will of God so that we might walk in a way that is faithful. So how ought we to walk? Well, Paul gives the, the, the overarching uh, ca- category there in verse 10. He says that we should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, and then he works that out. But first of all, he says that we should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. If you know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know of His greatness as the God-man, the second person of the Trinity who has joined him to Himself a human nature and lived amongst us in order to be our Redeemer, to take the penalty that our sins deserve, if you know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll, you'll know that He is worthy of all of our devotion and of all of our affection. We should hold nothing back from Him because of His greatness and His graciousness to us. I remember uh, a few, few months ago, I was speaking with someone who used to be a, a soldier, and he, he met the, uh, one of the top generals, uh, the chief of defense uh, in, um, in the Canadian forces. And he, this, this fellow made such an impression, this general made such an impression upon this private. He said, I would have gone anywhere for him because he recognized how worthy he was of his devotion. Whatever battle he would lead me in, I would go anywhere for him. And this has always been the testimony of those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. I would go anywhere for him because he's so worthy of all of my praise and all of my adoration. We're the whole realm of nature mine. That we're a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul my life, my all. He is worthy. And Paul says that uh, our lives ought to be lived in a, in a manner that is uh, in keeping with the worthiness of Christ. That people ought to look at us and say, well, would he do that for that Christ? Certainly that Christ must really be something for him to live that the, way, the way that he does. Our lives ought to show forth the glory and the graciousness and the supremacy and the magnificence of our Savior. We should commend Christ to others by the way that we live. And so Paul says, he prays that we would walk worthy of the Lord, and then he says, fully pleasing to Him. That's our aim, to live for the smile of our God to live in such a way that the Lord Jesus Christ sees himself reflected in our lives, and that makes him happy. The Apostle Paul doesn't just pray this for the Colossians. This was his own desire. As he says in 2 Corinthians 5, he was determined always to please him. So that's how we ought to live. That's the way we should walk, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. And then Paul delineates how that looks in the Christian's life, and he uses four participial phrases for those who like grammar to highlight what that looks like. 
And the first one is found in verse 10. Christians, if they're going to live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, should be bearing fruit in every good work. We ought to be living fruitful lives. Lives that bring pleasure to the one who owns us and has called us to be His own. Remember how uh, the Lord spoke about the Israelites in Isaiah 5 as a vineyard that He took out of Egypt and He planted. And He said He went to look for grapes, but found only wild grapes. They were not being fruitful in the way that their master wanted them to be. And this is how we ought to live, fruitful lives. We ought to bear the fruit of the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul speaks about in Galatians 5, so that we might please our owner. And bear fruit, Paul says, in every good work. We can't uh, justify being a gossip simply because we are a giver. We can't justify our laziness simply because we are a leader. In every area of our life, the totality of our existence, we must bear fruit for the glory of our God. So Christians ought to be fruitful Secondly, he says that Christians ought to be studious, increasing, he says in verse 10, in the knowledge of God. When I was in South Sudan a few months ago and saw the eagerness of the students to to learn in these schools, in the heat of the day, in in tin tin shacks, really a lot of them, I I wanted to take the the young people from southern Alberta who… don't think that education is that important or significant. I wanted to, to take them there and see how, how they just cherish their education, how they walk for miles, how they're willing to, to deny themselves a lot of things just to get an education because they understand the value of increasing in knowledge. Well, if that's true about the things of this world, then how much truer is increasing in the knowledge of God so significant and important for us? The more we know God, the better we will live for God. When we understand the holiness of God, His hatred of evil, His love for what is good because it's a reflection of His own character, then we will strive with all of all that is within us, to be holy as He is holy. When we understand the great forgiveness of God, His willingness to remember our sins no more, to cast the sins of His enemies into the depths of the sea, if we know that, if we learn that, if we increase in our knowledge of that, then certainly that will shape the way that we treat others when they sin against us. If we understand the passion God has for the fame of His name among the nations, that Christ Himself became a servant of the circumcised in order that the Gentiles might praise God for His goodness, well, that will affect the way that we think about world missions and about evangelism. 
We will want others to know the God that we have come to know and the God who is jealous for his own glory. Knowing God will affect the way that we live for God. And it's ignorance that leads to a subpar, mediocre Christian life. And so Paul doesn't only pray that we would be fruitful. He prays that we would be studious, that we would learn, that we'd increase in the knowledge of God. So let me ask you a question this evening. What do you know about God this year that you didn't know about God last year? Have you learned anything about Him? Or is your knowledge of Him stagnant? Are you bored with Him? Have you learned sufficient? Have you learned enough to make you happy? Or are you eager for God to inform your mind, to develop it, to mature it, to deepen your understanding of who He is in all of His magnificence. Let me urge you to study the ways of the Lord in your own life as you look at His providential dealings with you. Study the ways of the Lord through the preaching of the Word, through Bible studies, through reading of Christian books, through conversations with brothers and sisters as they share with you the things that they have learned of God. Make your conversations spiritually edifying to one another. Tell them what you saw in the Scriptures this morning because it might be old hat for you, but it will be fresh perhaps for them, and it will help them to increase in the knowledge of God. So fruitful, studious, Thirdly, perseverance. This is in verse 11. Paul prays that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The Belgic or the Canons of Dort says that uh, one day we will be free from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. What a glorious hope that is free from this body of death, free from sin, reigning with the Lamb in heaven forever. But if you didn't know by now, then let me tell you, we're not there yet. We still struggle. We still have weakness. We're in the midst of tribulations. We must persevere. We must endure. We must persist. We can't give up yet because we haven't arrived And to give up now means that we would miss the mark and we wouldn't reign with the Lamb in heaven. And so, as Paul says, I want to pray that you would endure. Remember, that's the the word that's made up of two Greek words, remain under, pictured picturing a a, a man who's who's lifting weights and he has it above his head and uh, he must remain under those weights because if he doesn't, those weights will come crashing down and harm him. And so his, his knees might shake, his arms might feel jittery, but he must, he must remain under. He must endure. He must persist. He must be long-suffering in the Christian life. He must run to the very end. He can't, he can't give up now or give in at all. He has to reach the goal. And Paul says, you need to persevere with joy. You know, there's a lot about the Christian life that is duty, things we must do, things we ought not to do. 
And sometimes duty becomes drudgery. Paul says, I'm praying that duty will be delight, that you would endure with patience and with joy. So we should be fruitful, should be studious, we should be persevering. And then fourthly, we should be thankful. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Are you thankful? Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Do you tell God how thankful you are? Have your family prayers moved beyond thanking God for food and shelter and work and family? Do you thank Him for the multitude of spiritual gifts that are yours in Jesus Christ? Just think of the ones that He mentions here at the end of this section. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Imagine that. Some of you young people uh, might, uh, might have applied for a job or applied for a scholarship or applied for university, and you got the letter back and telling you that you weren't qualified. And what a, what a blow that was. What a huge disappointment to you. But now Paul says that Christians are, are qualified. When you, when you stand before heaven and wishing to get in, uh, you will not be kept out. Uh, you will not be sent back to to uh, increase uh, your, your chances. No, He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then think about the inheritance that He has given to you, that every blessing is yours, that all things are yours because all things belong to Christ, that Christ is the heir of God, and He's not stingy. He shares it with you so that you have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and will not fade away and is kept in heaven for you. Or think of this. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness. Imagine living forever under the tyranny of Satan, who has no design for your blessing, who always wants your life to be miserable, and cruel, is always cruel towards you. Well, you're not there. God has delivered you from that domain, and He's placed you in the kingdom of the Son He loves. And what a great king we have. What a kind master. What a loving sovereign who, who doesn't just demand that we give our lives for Him, but has given His life for us. What a blessing it is to know this gracious king. And then we have redemption. We were enslaved to the law, enslaved to sin, enslaved to Satan, and Christ has paid the purchase price, and we've been redeemed. We have sins more than the hairs of our head, and they're all forgiven. None of them is remembered against us any longer. God has thrown them into the depths of the sea. He has trampled them underfoot. They will never be used against us ever again. What reason we have. Who wouldn't be thankful when you think of all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. So Paul says this ought to characterize our lives. We ought to be thankful Christians. In fact, Paul is so insistent on it. If you just turn over to chapter 2, verse 6, he says that uh, as, you receive, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, you're to walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Does that characterize your life? 
abounding in thanksgiving. Or think about what he says in chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Are you thankful when you enjoy the prosperity of his kindness? Are you thankful when you receive a discouraging diagnosis? Are you thankful when people are unkind? Are you thankful when you're going through troubles and difficulties? Paul wants you. No, Christ wants you to be thankful. This is, this is how you live a life worthy of him, pleasing him in every way. You do it by being fruitful, studious, persevering, and thankful. Well, you might think that this is uh, too much for you, that uh, there's no way that you could be all that you should be, that Paul has set his sights too high, the standards are too exacting, they're above your pay grade, you might say. And uh, you're right, and uh, you're wrong. You're right because uh, we are still sinners. We, ha- we haven't yet been, been free from sin. We have sin within us. And then we have the, the temptations around us. We have the world. We have Satan as our sworn enemies, sin within the world and Satan, our three sworn enemies, who always seek to unsettle us and to get us to deviate from the will of God. And so uh, the Christian life is a struggle. We're always struggling with sin and temptation, giving in to temptation, needing to ask forgiveness. That's just the reality. We're not entirely free from the flesh, as uh, the canons say, and uh, from the body of sin. And so this is too much for us. In fact, if God were to leave us to ourselves, if he says, okay, now I've started you on the path, then you just continue it on your own, we would, we would just crash. It's like, uh, like when you teach your children to first ride a bike, and you run behind them, and the first few times you let go of their seat, and they go for a little bit, and then they topple over. Well, that's the way we would be because of remaining sin within us. And, and this is why, as Christians, we, we love the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we lament our sins. This is why we flee to refuge for Christ, because we, we never graduate from our need for the Savior, because we're always sinning. We're always weak. We're always giving in to temptations. We're not yet free, as Paul says in Romans 7, from this body of death, and that means that I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. There's this law at work in me. And so these requirements, this standard that Paul has set, this walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, we, we, we put up our hands and say, sorry, that's uh, too much for us. Can't do it. You're right. But then, you're wrong. Because you're right, 
in that you, by yourself, are unable to do that. Those who have been converted, the confession says, could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources. But here's the marvelous thing. God hasn't left you to your own resources. He has committed himself to your holiness. And you see this in this passage in a couple of ways. First of all, Paul is praying. Why would he be praying? Well, he's praying because of the need we have for the grace of God. He doesn't say, uh, Colossians, listen, I just want to give you a, a pep talk here. I just want to encourage you. You, you can do it. You, you need to just believe in yourself. You have all the resources. It's all up to you. You can be anything you want to be. That's not how he says it. He doesn't speak to them first. He speaks to God about them. Basically what he says, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We have no resources. And so we must pray, and we can pray, because when we pray, God promises to answer. He commits himself to our blessing. As Paul says in the end of 1 Thessalonians, uh, God will sanctify us through and through, soul, body, and spirit. So that's the first thing. You're not on your own. Help is a prayer away. God will hear those who cry out to him in distress. That's why we sang from Psalm 61 this evening. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I in the midst of my foes, in the tempest of life. I, I'm going to fail. I'm going to be crushed. So God, will you not hear my cry and answer me in my distress? Yes, he will. He will. That's the kind of God he is. So God will give you the grace that you need. And notice that, what it says here in verse 11, that Paul prays that they would endure and, uh, with patience and joy, that they would be persistent and persevering, but that they would do so being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. God loves to show His glory and His glory is best seen, not when we are self-made men and women, boys and girls who do it on our own, who are intrepid and brave and courageous and self-denying. No, God's glory is seen when we are weak and helpless and call out on Him for grace. Remember what the Apostle Paul said about to that thorn that he had in the flesh, that messenger of Satan that harassed him. He asked for, for God to remove it. And uh, the Lord Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's in our weakness that the glory of God shines. And so you, you look at a person who has received a, a diagnosis from the doctor. It's not pleasant. And yet they receive it with calmness. There's, there's tears, of course. Tears, uh, fears, anxieties. Of course there is. 
but there's a calmness, and there's no bitterness. There's no anger towards the Lord. There's no shaking the fist. In fact, there's thanksgiving in the midst of it. And you say, how is that possible? People fall apart when they hear these things. How is it possible that, that he can be so calm and receive with such equanimity? Um, you, you, you wonder, how is that possible? Well, that's just, that's just his character. That's just the way she is. She's, she's nonplus. She, she doesn't get that excited. He, he's just calm in every circumstance. Just, just a minute here. Why rob God of his glory? The reason he or she is responding in the way that they are is, is not because of their strength. It's because in their weakness... God is revealing the glory of his power for his people. And so God covenants to be your God. And whatever you need, he promises that he will give. Cry out to him in your temptations and in your distress, and he will answer. So that's the first thing. You need to understand what God will do for you. And then secondly, you need to understand what God has done in you. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So that a Christian, I remember when I was young seeing a, a, the bumper sticker uh, of, uh, on a car in, a, in our neighborhood. Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Well, that is true. Christians aren't perfect and they are forgiven. But they're not just forgiven. Christians are transformed. They're transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ so that they are no longer under a foreign power. This is Paul's great argument in Romans 6 that in union with Jesus Christ who died and then who rose again, Christians are dead to sin, but they're alive to God in Jesus Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we become slaves of righteousness. So that the Christian is, is no longer the way they once were. Before, before you became a Christian, you were in bondage to sin. You could not please God. It was impossible for you to do so. But God has delivered you. He set you free. He's changed you. So that now it's possible for you to bear fruit in every good work. Now it's possible for you to increase in the knowledge of God. You had no concern, no, no interest in the things of God. But now you do because he's changed you and brought you into a different kingdom. So now you can increase in the knowledge of God. Now you can persevere. You are running headlong for hell. But now you've been changed. You've been turned around by the grace of God. And you can persistently and perseveringly plod towards heaven before you were not thankful. Remember how Paul describes in Romans 1, the wicked upon whom God's wrath comes. What's with them? Why does God so threaten them? Because although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They lived a godless, ungrateful life. And that's what we would do, but God has transferred us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into 
the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You're not what you were. And so don't forget that. Remember what God has made you by his grace. Remember what he promises you by his grace. That he's given you the wherewithal so that you can walk worthy of Christ and have the wisdom you need to do so. May God write his word upon our hearts. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we are grateful to you for all the resources that you have promised us and which are ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you you have not left us to ourselves and that you do not leave us to ourselves, that our salvation from the beginning has been the work of your sovereign grace. You've taken the initiative and brought us to life in Christ. And uh, salvation to the very end is your sovereign work so that from start to finish, it is your grace. You are the alpha and the omega of our faith. And so we're grateful for that because we know our own weakness, we lament our failings, and uh, we are grateful for all that you have promised us. And we pray that, that we would uh, cling tightly to your promises, that we would seek your face, that we would pursue holiness, that we would uh, run towards the goal of perfection until that day when faith becomes sight and when uh, you will make all things new and when you will finish that work of creation in our lives and when sin will only be a thing of the past. We pray that you would bless us richly for Jesus' sake. Amen.